This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When we're in the field, there is no rush, no schedule, and no deadlines. Nature moves at its own pace. Being in the field provides the opportunity to slow down, clear our minds, and interact with the natural world. This interaction builds a deep connection with the land, water, wildlife, and our hunting and fishing community. Some of the best stories are shared on the river while casting a fly, or when we return to camp at the end of the day. These stories shared between family and friends shape our hunting and fishing heritage. And even short stories can make a huge impact. Ride along with us as we bring you stories from hunters, anglers, and conservationists who live and breathe the outdoors. Welcome to A Field, a special series from NWF Outdoors and Artemis Sportswomen. Hey folks, this is Andrew Wilkins uh, from Washington, D.C. I work for the National Wildlife Federation out of our National Advocacy Center here. Um, I do a lot of work with our hunting and angling policy, but also on our land stewardship team. Uh, and I'm actually here to talk with some friends from Trout Unlimited about um, one of my personal favorite places uh, in D.C., uh, not just to fish, but to be outdoors. It's a really cool landscape, a really cool fishery uh, that impacts a lot of folks. Um, the Potomac River and more specifically Fletcher's Cove. Uh, but before we talk about that, um, Rob, why don't you introduce you guys? Hey there, my name is Rob Catalanato. I work for Trout Unlimited in the Government Affairs Department, and I'm also with the Friends of Fletcher's Cove, which will be, will be our, uh, our topic of discussion today. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Wood. I also work for Trout Unlimited, and like Rob, uh, I'm a volunteer with the Friends of Fletcher's Cove. 
Nice. Thank you both for the time today. Uh, it's a busy time in Washington. All of us are working a lot on um, some important policies to try and benefit the fisheries and places we love uh, to spend time outdoors. But um, it's really fun to talk today about Fletcher's. Have you guys been out to Fletcher's much this season? Like how many shad have you caught this year, do you think? Oh, man. Shad, total shad numbers. They, Hun- hundreds. Yeah, maybe hundreds. Hundreds? I'd any say. doubles? Plenty uh, of doubles. Probably 20. I've had 20 doubles, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us about so a double, a double on, we, on it. Yeah. We, we, when you spin fish, um, you typically use a three-way swivel and have about you know 12 to 16 inches of line off one with a shad dart, a heavy shad dart tied to it. And then off the second swivel, uh, the first is obviously attached to the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but off the second, or I guess it's the third swivel, you have a longer lead of like 36 inches or so with a lighter dart. And there are times when you'll actually catch a shad on each dart, and it's quite the rodeo, uh, especially if you get two American shad, which are the larger of the two species of shad that run up the Potomac. Yeah, it's a fly fisherman's paradise, too, out there, too. I admittedly don't do that as much. I'm out there usually with a spinning rod from the shore, from a boat, if, I, yeah. if I'm lucky enough. But Yeah, no, it's, a, uh, it's an awesome uh, fly, fishery, fly fishing fishery. I remember when I first started doing it, and like, I'm dating myself, but back in like 92, 93, I was an oddity out there with a fly rod, but uh, I'd say it's almost almost half and half now, right, yep. Bob? Yeah. Yep. In terms of teaching people how to fly fish, there's not a whole lot of casting mechanics that need to happen because you're in that current. So teaching folks how to like fight a fish on a fly rod, especially considering the density of shad out there, it's an awesome learning opportunity from the, from the fly fishing it's a, side. It's too. also one of the best places to take a kid fishing. Because the experience of being out in a boat in the nation's capital, you're surrounded by cormorants, osprey, uh, bald eagles. I saw a golden eagle this morning. Wow. Um, It's incredible. Uh, And, you know, when you take kids fishing, the most important thing is to have action. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, short of bluegill, this is probably the best place to take a kid fishing. Yeah, yeah, I've taken some uh, some of my friends out fishing to try and teach them there, and they get real excited. They go out and they buy a bunch of fishing gear and say, like, I'm going to – can't wait to get out more this year. I'm like, uh, they're a little bit spoiled because uh, Fletcher's is such an experience. But let's let's zoom out a bit. Fletcher's Cove um, is right off the Potomac River. It's here in Washington, D.C. Um, but tell us a little bit about um, both Trout Unlimited's work and just sort of your observations over the years to help out with the Potomac River and the progress not just the shad fisheries made but the rivers made. Yeah, so um – Our office is actually, you know, about two apple throws away from uh, the Potomac River right here across the way. And for years, we've worked with, I don't know, about 400 private landowners in the headwaters of the Potomac, uh, particularly in West Virginia, where you've got some really high-quality brook trout streams, primarily trying to extend the cold water influence off the flanks of the Monongahela onto adjacent private lands. And Rob uh, grew up working at Fletcher's before he became an intern for us and then eventually uh, on our government affairs team where he is now. And uh, Rob drew my attention to um, the work of an organization that he helped to found called Friends of Fletcher's Cove a few years ago. And so what, uh, what we did at Child Unlimited was we basically held the fiscal sponsorship for the Friends of Fletcher's so that people could make a donation to Trout Unlimited in the name of Friends of Fletcher's Cove and still get the tax benefit. Mm -hmm. And through really Rob's good work and another one of our board members, Mike Mazur, um, we we actually are now uh, an independent 501c3. 
and nice. friends of Fletcher's, and uh, we're getting we have our own bank account. We've got our website, you know. And what's the website? SaveTheCove.org. Check it out. Yeah, it's super cool. And and so anyway, Tu has had a very I mean a you know a familial uh, relationship with uh, FFC as we call it for a while, and and the reason it's so important to us is that. Um, and, you know, I'm an angler, and we are prone, if not allowed, to exaggerate. But uh, <laughs> I would say, you know, I fished, I fished in Argentina, I fished in England, I fished uh, all over the world. There's no other place I would rather fish than the Potomac. The Potomac mm-hmm. is the best urban fishery in the country. So on the East Coast right now, shad populations are down to about 5% of their historic levels. And back in the early 90s, when I first started fishing on, in the Potomac, they were they were probably at 5% of their historic levels as well. And uh, a man named Jim Cummins and a bunch of other volunteers began this restoration program. And the combination of that restoration effort and uh, the, the, clean, the legacy of the Clean Water Act have, have led to this just absolutely incredible fishery right here in the nation's capital. And we like to talk about shad because it's the spring, but it's white perch, it's hickory shad, it's American shad. Uh, there's a, a great carp fishery, uh, which mm-hmm. is a non-native species, which is in the on the CNO Canal and in the river. Yeah, I saw when the cicada event happened here, people were just really just slamming the carp. It was wild. They're going nuts catching carp on the canal with Top big water carp. cicada patterns. Yeah, it's wild. Um, there's a gar fishery that I like to think that I personally discovered one day when I caught <laughs> one inadvertently. How do you catch a gar? How does that work? We typically use rope flies, but you can, yeah. some people use bait for them too. I was out talking to one of the biologists who, Chris Campo, a great partner of ours who also used to work at Fletcher's, now is a biologist for DC, and he live lines little bluegills. And uh, wow. he had a 42 and a half inch carp on uh, the other day and got it to the boat but couldn't quite oh, land gar, it. Gar, right? Or, I'm sorry, yeah. uh, gar, not carp, yeah. They're, they're impressive, they're prehistoric looking beasts. Nice. And they're native. Dinosaurs, native dinosaurs in the nation's capital. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, the, the Potomac River, you know, it, it, it's funny. I'm from North Carolina originally, uh, and I grew up fishing with my dad and with some friends. Uh, when I moved to D.C., I didn't really think I'd have many opportunities uh, to go fishing. But um, a lot of folks told me to check out Fletcher's Cove, and I have been every spring now uh, since I've lived here. I've been waking up early, uh, particularly during the shad run. Uh, and going fishing by myself sometimes with others. Um, but you, you mentioned the importance of Fletcher's Cove um, as an urban fishery and as an access point for the community. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, who goes to Fletcher's, what it means, you know, you know, just tell us a little bit about that resource because I love it. And, you know, much to um, FFC's credit and your work, Rob, but, you know, you guys have been not just advocates for helping restoring the cove and saving the cove but getting people out there as well so tell us a little bit about it yeah well chris mentioned before i ever got my real job my my high school days and and over the summer in college i would work on the dock of fletcher's cove so i got to see sort of the wide breadth of of people that use fletcher's cove and you know it's folks that are in that immediate neighborhood the palisades that can walk down and and jump in a kayak in the summer or go out and a rowboat boat and catch shad in the spring. But then there's an entire metropolitan area around Fletcher's Cove. So people from, uh, you know, with well within the city and in Maryland and Virginia, the surrounding areas, they all, they all come and, and fish. And so 
you know, I think Chris, you've mentioned it. You can have a politician fishing next to, you know, a, a waiter next to, you know, whoever else. It's just this really interesting blend of people that you would really only find in a in an urban area where you've got just a lot of diversity, um, a lot of different cultures and experiences all kind of converging on this one place. So um, it's pretty incredible to see firsthand. Yeah, you can, you know, I know I drive there because I live pretty far from Fletcher's Cove. You can drive there, hike there, bike there. I mean, it's it's right along um, a bike trail. I'm actually a pretty famous bike trail for the area, but it's not uncommon to see, you know, a group of kids biking in with their rods, you know, sticking off the back of their backpacks or tied to their bike or something. Maybe you did that, Rob, once upon a time. I did used to do it too when I first arrived in D.C. It's, you can... We love, we love the fish out of the boats, the boat fleet that's there at Fletcher's, but there's a bank that runs all the way up to Chain Bridge. I mean, it's a couple miles worth of river you can fish on both sides. And uh, it's, the, as Rob said, the diversity of anglers out there is awesome. It's everybody in the entire Washington, D.C. community. One of the Fletcher's, the concession was owned by, I think it was ultimately four, three or four generations of the Fletcher family before Joe and Ray um, the scions of the of Julius, actually, uh, they retired a few years back. And Ray told me one day, he said, uh, you know, they all come to the river. Eventually, everybody comes mm-hmm. to the river. We've had, you know, I haven't taken a president fishing, but presidents have stopped by there. Uh, members of Congress, agency administrators. Uh, Steve Moyer, who used to be our government affairs guy, who started as an intern with NWF, actually. Steve, Steve is Steve is a legend in this community. Yeah. I'm sure there are many people who will listen to this who will know Steve. Yeah. So. Steve used to call it rowboat diplomacy because I probably take 30 or so people out a year, board members, members of Congress, agency administrators. I took a leader over at the Forest Service out. I'll, I'll leave his name out of this so I don't get in trouble because we were fishing during working hours. And... Uh, <laughs> After about 30 minutes, he looked over at me and he said, I think that's the first cast I've had where I didn't get a fish. Wow. And it's just so cool. That's, how, that's how spoiled you can be fishing that, like yeah. amazing fishery. It's, it's really also, wild. You can also get skunked. I mean, I went out last night with uh, Rob Masanis, our Western Conservation VP, and he caught seven perch, but no, no shad. <laughs> so, you know. One of my favorite things to see at Fletcher's, and this can happen any time of year, is someone who's just arrives for the first time who's a dc resident or a resident of the area and they say like how can a place like this exist how did i not know it was there you know and i think that's a big part of our job is to make sure people know that fletchers and places like fletchers are there right in your backyard and you can just you can bike there you can walk there and, and you've got this incredible park yeah, and just to sort of paint a picture for folks who haven't been there, but, but hopefully will feel feel inspired to to come. I mean, it's it, it's really incredible. It's right down on the river, and it truly is a cove. I mean, if you're driving there, uh, you come through, you drive under this little tunnel. It almost feels like a portal that opens up, and you're suddenly on this, like, beautiful park right along the river. If you bike up, you've just um, spent some time on some of the, I think, the nations, but certainly the region's most interesting and beautiful bike trails to get there, seeing wildlife all along the way. Um, you can hike it as well, which is which is sort of the same effect. Just, you know, you get a, get a bit more of an opportunity to listen to the sights and sounds and take it all in. But it, it, it opens up to this huge area. Um, there's a boathouse, a beautiful uh, sort of park area right down by the river, which so many people who aren't even there to fish enjoy. I mean, I feel like there's always, when the weather's nice, cookouts and families playing and enjoying it. They're, they're not even there to fish. Um, they're just there to enjoy sort of this sort of 
place of solitude, kind of a retreat, if you will, um, right in the middle of this huge urban center. And then if you want a boat, um, you, know, you can rent canoes and kayaks just to go boat around or fish out of. But um, Fletcher's, it's kind of famous for its famous red rowboats uh, that people see going out. And there's excitement when the fleet is ready and they start renting boats for the first time. And uh, if you uh, get a boat, which is more competitive now because um, everyone's been telling people about how awesome Fletcher's is, uh, you, you get the, your gray oars, you get out in the boat, um, and you row out through this kind of tight spot um, that gets you out to the river. Um, and then from there, I mean, the shad are like right there. If it's in season, I mean, it's, you don't have to, you know, be a Olympic athlete to get that boat out into the water and to be right on the fish. I mean, it's an easy, fun, accessible adventure. Um, but that's you know, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about is talk about that, getting the boat out. That's one of the biggest challenges we see. Um, you know, an increase in sediment choking off kind of access to the dock. And, you know, the shad recovery is an amazing story. Um, I think as you put it before we started recording, you know, it's a, it's an American success story of fisheries recovery. But Fletcher's Cove has some unique conservation challenges um, as well. Um, long story short, the cove is basically disappearing. It's getting, it's getting silted in. Yeah. Um, walk us through what's happening there. So... Uh Back in the 60s, uh, before the passage of many of our modern environmental laws, um, there was a project called, I think it was the Dulles Connector, and they created a ton of fill in order to do this construction mm -hmm. project, and they needed a place to put the fill. And so, I don't think there was any malice or of intent, but they, they dumped tens of thousands of dump trucks of big boulders and fill upstream of Fletcher's. It's probably... I guess it's a half mile by a half mile, at least. Yeah, it's acres. Acres and acres. And wow. that all used to be wetlands. We have photos from the 50s where these were wetlands. And so when it was a wetland complex, what would happen is the river would get up because the Potomac's a big river. It's a, you mm -hmm. know, it's a scary... It's, a it's, it's tidal, too. So it's, people yeah. realize it's a tidal it's river. A you tidal have to check river. the tide when you go in as yeah, well. Yeah, these shad are actually coming up from... The shad in themselves are remarkable. They migrate from Florida to Canada, and then they come up the rivers in the east coast to spawn. But um, the Potomac can get pretty big and, you know, flood easily. And what used to happen is the flood would come, the spring freshet and other floods, and it would, it would come down across those wetlands and then go through the cove, and it would pull all the sediment out of the cove. And so the cove, it was a natural cove. You know, we've, we've come across... Park Service has had to do some work in there over the years, and they found that there's evidence that a thousands of years, thousand years ago, indigenous people were gathering at Fletcher's to fish. Yeah, and they still actually, you know, they annually sometimes have demonstrations of yeah. that, right? Like you know, recreating how the fish were probably prepared and, and all that. And, yeah, yeah, and it was really the, cool. It was the site of a very active commercial fishery in the 1880s and 1890s. So, but what what happened when they put that fill in is now the river comes up. And it still enters the cove, but it doesn't flush anything out. It just comes up as high water, and then it, as it recedes, it just drops its sediment. So the, the natural flushing flows of the spring freshet no longer flush the cove. And uh, what, what we're doing, our, our, our sort of purpose is threefold at Friends of Fletcher's. Um, number one, uh, it's to, uh, in the short term, advocate to dredge the cove so people in the, the region can continue to enjoy access to the premier urban fishery in the country. And then number two, it's to work with a whole host of state and federal partners 
um, to, to basically come up with a long-term solution that will allow the uh, recovery of the cove uh, through a more natural riverine environment. And then number three, and this is not insignificant for all the good reasons that Rob was talking about earlier, this is a magical place. And like all things related to conservation, if you're not creating advocates for these places that we you know, live, love, and in our case, fish, then um, that next generation, they won't care. And so uh, we have a, a very dedicated purpose at Friends of Fletcher's to um, work with a whole array of our partners at Fish and Wildlife Service, at NOAA Fisheries, at DC, the, you know, the, Washington, the city of Washington, D.C., to introduce uh, public school kids in particular uh, to this, their name, you know, their city's namesake river. We've, we've done events at, at, at Trout Unlimited where we'll go into, you know, uh, mostly all-black schools in, in the inner city, and we'll tell them about Fletcher's, and we'll teach them how to cast, and we take them down to the river and take them out for shad. And those kids leave change kids. I mean, they're, it's, it, they have more fun than they've probably had you know, in weeks when we take them out on the river. And so we want to do that in a systematic way to you know, develop more advocates and give more kids good experiences um, on Fletcher's. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's been just fascinating to learn about the work that's gone into conserving the cove and, and sort of this forward thinking work too, right? It's not just dredging, which is a challenge in and of itself. Uh, it's expensive to dredge yeah, uh, the yeah, silt. Yeah. Uh, it's even more expensive to um, remove what's basically an artificial island. Um, but I mean, the, the work that's been going on around Fletcher's Cove, both through Friends of Fletcher's and, you know, with the support of Trout Unlimited, um, it's been, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing to watch. So, I mean, just, you know, we're kind of wrapping up here, but I, I am curious, you know, what do you see as sort of next? What are some of the next big benchmarks for covering the cove, restoring the cove? And, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, step, step one, as Chris said, is to restore that immediate access. So we're starting to see on the lowest tide days when the wind is blowing the wrong direction, folks can barely get out. You know, we're just squeaking by right now, and all it takes is one bad weather event, one big flood that deposits the wrong amount of sediment right there to really, truly block access off to the river. So, These are not big boats either that people are trying to get out. This no. is like a simple flat-bottomed rowboat. This right. is, I mean, that's they don't require much to clear. Yeah, so that's that's really like the immediate challenge that we want to address, and then. Um, you know, in the longer term, as Chris said, we want to find that sustainable solution. But um, I think that the, the task in front of us is to make sure that all the stakeholders and, and parties involved are sort of, um, you know, understand the task and uh, are working together to achieve it. So we've got lots of interested parties and we've got people that are all starting to acknowledge that, that that's what we need to do. Um, but it's about just getting, getting across the, the, the finish line, so to speak, um, and, and that involves likely federal funding. So, um, you know, if we can get the Park Service to agree with the other entities, maybe the Army Corps, whoever else has jurisdiction over the site, um, that this short-term mid-range dredging is the right move, um, then we can, we can get it funded and we can go from there. But getting that initial investment. Um, DC, the, the Department of, the, the DC Department of Energy and Environment has already paid um, very graciously for the testing of the soil and fill, so we know what would happen if we pulled it out in terms of impacts, but um, now we need to actually start 
pulling it out. And uh, as I said, that involves uh, some cost. So figuring out how to navigate that is, is the real challenge. And, and uh, shameless plug here, uh, go to savethecove.org, if you will, and you know consider supporting us. In addition to the uh, recovering the access to the Cove, in addition to the work we're doing with kids in the Washington, D.C. community, uh, Friends of Fletcher's has actually helped to supplement the fleet of boats at uh, uh, at Fletcher's. I think we, at this point, we've bought five boats. Just about, yeah. I think yeah, five or six boats nice. for uh, for uh, FFC or for the Cove. So, uh, so we want to make sure that people can continue to access this just remarkable uh, resource that's right here in the nation's capital. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, it it, it is. It's really something. That I really appreciate the work y'all have done. Um, you know, try and advocate for this landscape, but also, you know, more broadly, um, you know, increasing access nationwide to urban fisheries like this. This is an interesting one. It's one we all three love because it's right here in our backyard. Um, but, you know, public lands aren't just found, you know, out in wide tracts of land, you know, located in the middle or southeast of the country or in the middle of the woods or whatever. I mean, it's, it's right here. This is a, this is public land, public waters. Uh, and advocating for them is just as much a part of our mission as it is these these larger acreage landscapes. So I, I wanted to wrap up uh, with, with maybe a more fun question. And it's, it's just, if you could, because we're all talking about fishing, so it requires some degree of fishing stories. Uh, what's, your, what's your favorite day out on the water, shad fishing, that you can recall? It could have been last week. It could have been 10, 20 years ago. Like, what's, what's like, your, your favorite memory from I'll, the Cove? I'll go first and then let Rob... Uh, think about it and give his answer. But I'll say one thing about your last comment because it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really wise. So at Trout Unlimited, we're all about native fish. Mm-hmm. And so the more we can target angling enthusiasm at carp and blue catfish and other, you know, urban fish that really, frankly, don't belong, right? Uh, the better it is so for yep. the native fish. So my, here's my favorite day, and it's not even close. So my favorite day on the river, I, what I should do, I'm going to make sure that my spouse doesn't listen to this because I should say it involves fishing with my sons, which mm-hmm. we love to do. But no, we closed the office. I don't know. This is before Rob's time, maybe nine, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to do this pre-COVID regularly. And I would go get barbecue for everyone. And then we get the people who were familiar with angling to take out the people who don't fish. And we fish the CNO. We invite people to invite their families and such. And we fish the CNO Canal, which is on one side of, of the Potomac, and then we fish the Potomac. Well, I was in a rowboat with um, our Eastern now our Eastern Conservation VP Keith Curley, and I had a little clouser on mm-hmm. to try to catch. A, you can catch shad with a lot of different bait, but this was later in May, and the shad were kind of thin by then. And I ended up. Uh, making a long cast and I got a big hit and I, I felt this thing at the end of my line and I said oh, I have no idea what this could be and it turns out it was the first gar that any of us had caught in the Potomac and gar, for those of you who, who, who know long nose gar you'll know that their entire beak is filled with bones and teeth you cannot sink a hook through there but I got the one piece of tissue in the front of the mouth and I managed to land that gar and, uh, and and that was cool in and of itself. But then we, we we went down to a place called Walker's Point, and there's another little cove area down there, and I caught a white perch. And I happened to have my kids' crab lines with me. And so I rigged up a crab line mm-hmm. with a piece of that white perch, and I just threw it over. And we were out there fishing for, you know, whatever we could catch. And I ended up catching like a 25-pound 
blue catfish. It's because that's how you catch a giant catfish. Like that's a guaranteed like boat hauling catfish. Right it was there. a boat hauling catfish for sure. So that that remains to this day. That's awesome. My favorite uh, fishing day at Fletcher's. I love it. For me, I guess growing up in DC. I'm sort of an oddity that I like to fish as much as I do among my friends who also mm. grew up here. Um, so, you know, I always try to convince my friends, like, oh, you got to get out, come on. And it's sometimes hard to get them to commit. And I had two friends that had never been fishing ever in their lives. And after a couple months of convincing, I got them out on the water and watched them proceed to catch 30 or 40 fish each. That's awesome. And so to just see these people that I you know, care about go from you know, never having an interaction with the hobby that I love to like fully experiencing it was an awesome experience. And that, that's why, that's really why I love Fletcher's too. Cause it's, it's one of those places where you can do that. You know, I'll, I'll just add sort of my favorite day. Cause I've not been, I've not been on this fishery as long as you two have, but I think one of my favorite days was about, uh, it was early in the pandemic. It was like 2019, 2020. And, um, I, I kind of forget time, I don't know. I lost track of time during the pandemic, but we were all out on the river. Um, and I looked, uh, kind of up the river and I saw Rob fishing. And so we made eye contact and waved at a friend with me. And then we saw another, uh, guy in the conservation community fishing and Rob pointed us in the direction of where the shad were right above, you know, right above the rock up there. And so all we just sort of had these three boats and then someone else knew someone else. They came over, you know, someone waved at someone else. And by the end of the, like, you know, after an hour or two, there were like five rowboats kind of in this small area. Everyone was kind of talking and socializing and just absolutely like railing shad too. Like in the background of all of this, it was kind of one of those weird times where we were on the shad so perfectly. Thank you, Rob, that like we were able to have a conversation while just hauling in shad after shad, you know, taking them off the hook, throwing them back in, maybe getting a really pretty one, taking a picture, uh, it was awesome, and it was just kind of a fun moment that the community was out there talking, catching up, a little bit of work, a little bit of not work, um, but, you know, sort of the unifying thing here was this, this sort of pristine fishery that we traveled from all over the city to get to and enjoy. It was just a, a beautiful coincidence, and it's one of my fondest memories. So um, I really appreciate you guys both taking time out of your day. Uh, Trout Unlimited does so much uh, beyond <laughs> our nation's capital's borders, and I know you guys have got a lot to work on today, but... Um, you, you guys are some of our best partners, the National Wildlife Federation, um, and I enjoy working with you both. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks, thanks Andrew. Andrew. You've been listening to A Field, a special series from NWF Outdoors and Artemis Sportswoman. NWF Outdoors is working to safeguard fish, wildlife, and their habitats to ensure that our sporting traditions remain strong now and into the future. Artemis is a group of bold, impassioned sportswomen who are out to change the face of conservation. For more storytelling, follow us on social media. Remember, conservation is not a spectator sport. Get engaged and speak up for the resources you love. Thank you.